there, you are listening to Poduck Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to the Poduck Saga. My name is Rita, I live in England, I blog at Princess of Poduck on Tumblr and tweet at Rita Bites. I am Michelle, I am in the States and I blog on Tumblr at Poldark Muses and am on Twitter at Musings. And hi, my name is Delenda. I live in France. You can find me on Tumblr at British Liso, and I tweet at Delenda Dia. So first off, we've had two fantastic announcements about our favorite show this week. First of all, Series 3 will air in June in the UK. Yay! Yay! Woohoo! However, it will not be back in the States until October. Boo! And Boo. even better news, the show will be back for Series 4! Yay! Yay! <laughs> oh my goodness, that would that was absolutely blissful news. I'm so glad to to hear that that was going to happen because leaving us hanging halfway through Four Swans was gonna suck. <laughs> Real news. <laughs> so there is no better time than the present to join us in our book club reading of the Four Swans, half of which, as we just mentioned, will be adapted into season three. That is what this podcast will be covering, so if you're avoiding spoilers, this might not be the podcast for you. We'll be back on Sunday with another commentary track to the 1970s series for you to listen to. As for the rest of us, let's dive into the book, shall we? Yes, indeed. Uh, This week we are discussing The Four Swans, book two, chapters five through ten, which corresponds to chapters 19 through 24 in the Audible audiobook. Frankly, this may be the time for me to break out the bourbon I've managed to avoid so far in reading uh, this book, because Lord knows I'm going to need it, uh, particularly for this assignment and especially for the last chapter. But we'll get into that in just a little bit. Also remember, we are hosting a contest for the book club where we will reward the next three books in the Poldark Saga to our most consistent participant over the Four Swans book club. Those books are The Angry Tide, which will be part of what is adapted for Series 4, The Stranger from the Sea, and The Miller's Dance. So, on with the questions. Okay, first question. What or who has struck you the most in these six chapters and why? This could be a specific person, storyline, action, or a situation. Deepak67 says Elizabeth and George's forthright discussion about their marriage, specifically George's jealousy and suspicions. It was fascinating to see these two people, who are always very measured and very much in control of their thoughts and emotions, have an open, honest discussion about how their marriage was floundering and why. All Roads Lead to the Kitchen says Morwenna. We all knew she despised Ozzy, but that threat leaves no doubt. It's such a sad and disturbing situation. Absolutely Addicted Poldarkey says the Aussie Rowella standoff has been fascinating. Wow. The strategies, <laughs> manipulations taking place, unbelievable. I am also drawn into the situation of Ross and Demelza withholding from each other. I wish they would share what it is in their hearts. Amanda Poldark says definitely the Hugh and Demelza storyline. Gals? For me, uh, it's all of the confrontations that took place in this series of uh, chapters with George and Elizabeth, Ozzy, Rowella, Ozzy and Marwenna, and I suppose even to a certain extent, uh, Demelza and Hugh. 
Uh, I personally was uh, simply struck by Moana because uh, a young girl in her, in her situation stuck with a possessive and uh, without a doubt dangerous pig because I can't call him otherwise. <laughs> like <laughs> Ozzy would be expected to accept her fate and especially when uh, she has a child already born. So I was uh, happily surprised when she finally stood up for herself because what does she have to lose after all? Mm-hmm. Although I think I could probably come up with some other names to call them. Uh, dangerous pig works really well. <laughs> hey, actually, uh, Delanda, how would you say dangerous pig in French? Cochon dangereux. Ooh. That sounds I like nasty. That. I like that. <laughs> it does, it does. Dangereux. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, moving on. Um, the dinner party at Nampara. We saw a side of Demaza we haven't seen in some time. Thoughts on why this happened? BPAC67 said, Really liked Demelza's conversation with Lord de Dunstanville, i.e. Francis Bassett. What a pretentious name. Where she defended Ross against the accusation of him being the main cause of the feud between the Wolugans and Poldocks. I think her natural instinct is to defend Ross, and she also believes that it was unfair the blame of the feud to be solely put at Ross's feet. I also wondered whether she was feeling a bit guilty about hiding from Ross the poems he was sending her, and so she was compensating by being very forthright in defending Ross with Francis Bassett. All Roads Lead to the Kitchen said, I think Demelz has gotten accustomed to attending parties and social gatherings. She's able to put on the face she wants when she's at a party, to keep people at a distance when she chooses. But it's a whole nother story when those people come into her home, since it gives others more opportunity to judge and nitpick. So it brings her insecurities back to the surface. Absolutely Addicted Poldarki says, The Bassets are a reminder of her poor, humble beginnings. And with members of her family still living in the shadow of Tahiti, in a wretched cottage, she's feeling intimidated. Also, it hasn't been that long since she and Ross lived in poverty themselves. Another thing, when Ross says, I rely on you, and Demelza responds with, perhaps you should not always, was interesting. Maybe she's ashamed of herself. Hiding his poetry is part of this as well. Amanda Poldark says, Demelza usually feels intimidated when it comes to interacting with Gentry, but she seems way more willing than usual to step into the role. I believe that the letter from Hugh may have played a small role, but a bigger one was perceived peer pressure. She feels like Ross wants her to be the perfect society hostess, so Demelza acts accordingly. In a way, she is simultaneously playing offense and defense. Bringing up the Warleggans results in the old fears returning, but at the same time, she is also unsure of her new role if Ross was to go into a more active life. Demelza has played the peace broker before, but this time around, it's with someone she feels is superior to her. Girls, what do you think? I personally love the way that Dwight and Caroline conspired to nudge Demelza outside of her comfort zone (laughs) by sticking close to one another so that Demelza couldn't have paired Caroline off with Lord de Dunstanville and remained safe with Dwight. You know, I could really picture it in my mind, and I'm hoping that uh, Debbie chose uh, this dinner scene and Dwight and Caroline's... uh, um, uh, actions as something to include in series three. It'd be a neat bit of comic relief, and I think that they'd slay that. 
I really enjoyed this part of the novel, uh, Demelza's social anxiety reappearing because of Lord de Dunstanville owning the mine her entire family once worked in. It's a very clever way of reminding the audience of Demelza's lower birth. <laughs> Quite often, it can seem like a bit of a non-issue as the saga continues and as Demelza grows more in her position, but it is of incredibly profound importance to the characterization of Demelza and I think it informs every interaction she has. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this thread is being picked up again right around her meeting with Hugh. Very important to keep the disparate social statuses in mind when reading later chapters, particularly their scene. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the things I just thought of was when Ross is talking to Demelza after the dinner about how things went and, and Demelza's letting him know what all she talked about with uh, Bassett and Ross is just kind of happy incredulity about, mm. you know, how forthright she was with with Bassett. Um, I, I, I think that his his pride in Demelza is is massive and you know, I, I think that this is a, a great opportunity for us to to, to see that uh, within their partnership. Our next question is, do you think Roella was playing Ozzy with her proposal, including the total suggested for the, air quotes, small gift? <laughs> <laughs> small gift, my butt! b <laughs> 67 says, indeed she is, spinning lines about how marriage to Arthur would get her and Ozzy out of a pickle. Arthur is a poor librarian, etc. It was lovely to see Ozzy being played and put on the back foot. All road leads to the kitchen said, I didn't think so at this point in the story. I thought it was just a plan to save face for everybody involved. Meanwhile, it absolutely addicted Poldark, he says, Oh, yes, I believe she is. I may have underestimated the girl. In the beginning, I thought her behavior disturbing in one so young. I am still disturbed by that, but I am coming around to the thinking that she just may be protecting Morwenna. It certainly would be a motive for her. And also, she may be looking out for the Solway family. Rowella is no dummy. Amanda Poldark says, Rowella is totally playing into his fears here. She's really good at pushing the panic buttons. I think that amount of money is way more than she actually needs. But it is oddly enough close to the total Duschlegen paid him. It's pretty much a shakedown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, girls, what do you guys think? So, Rowella is amazeballs. Her survival <laughs> instincts are really impressive. Not to just survive, actually, because she managed to extort a huge amount of money from Ozzy, and her and her husband will be living quite comfortably off of him for a while. In fact, not just her husband, her entire husband's family. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really loved how the chapter played out with Rowella coming back day after day after day and just pressing on him harder and harder until he relented. You contrast this scene with that of Morwenna's betrothal and it's evident that Rowella is way more shrewd and powerful than any man in the series, including George. And <laughs> people may hate her, but it's incredibly refreshing to see a young woman taking action like this to save herself and her baby. She is a total hashtag girl boss that she is <laughs> yeah i agree with Gretel 100 percent because we might not appreciate the girl's behavior 
But uh, seeing uh, a young girl, especially, finally take some action against the constant patriarchy reigning is so empowering, and uh, I look forward to seeing how uh, it will be played out on screen. You know, something, a thought just occurred to me, and it's dangerous when these things happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, she used to spend an awful lot of time at that library yeah. with Arthur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My theory is that she um, she sort of staked him out because she found a young man that was like in a completely desperate situation and, oh sort my God. Of, and prayed on that and was like, you need money. I need a baby daddy. Oh, my God. Because at the wedding, somebody, I can't remember whose perspective it was, but um, it's noted that there was a lack of affection between her and her groom and i just thought they are totally (laughs) this is a total marriage of convenience like she's amazing her scheming is impressive dang oh good lord (laughs) speaking of impressive pretty astonishing play by morwenna do you think this Mm -hmm. is something she thought of on her own or planned with her sister BPAC67 says Morwenna thought about it all on her own. She is not close to Rowella, and discovering Rowella has been sleeping with Ozzy is not going to bring them closer, despite her dislike of Ozzy. Uh, Morwenna is perceptive and smart, and her explanation of following Ozzy to Rowella's room is plausible. All roads lead to the kitchen says, I think it was all her. It doesn't seem like she and Rowella really even care for each other. So I don't think they could have conjured up a twofold whammy of a plan. Her thread felt <laughs> like pure desperation to me. Absolutely addicted. Podaki said, oh, Morwenna. I suppose there is the possibility she and her sister may have planned her, quote, defense strategy. But I am thinking the poor girl has been temporarily driven insane by her disgusting pig husband's behaviour. Consider what he has put her through. To threaten the life of her own child is a desperate act. She's at the end of her rope, feeling there is no hope. This may be the only way to keep Ozzy away from her. I think at this point she thinks being considered insane is preferable to him touching her. (laughs) Damn. Uh, Amanda Poldark says, The first time I read Four Swans, I thought the sisters planned it together. Even in last week's chapters, I thought they were discussing things. But now it seems like Morwenna put two and two together herself. She's fed up with Reverend Rapist's constant cycle of abuse. I loved reading his shock and realization that Morwenna has the upper hand for once. Girls? Um, I think Morwenna appears as weak, naive, and defeated, but... Uh... I think it's actually a facade and truly her greatest strength, if that makes sense, especially in that situation, because uh, Osborne never would have expected her to uh, to uh, stand up for herself, so it was uh, quite unexpected. And uh, we've had indication in the past that she is a great observant, uh, which we saw when she uh, was spending lots of time with uh, Jeffrey Charles and Drake, uh, how she uh, saw them, um, saw their bond uh, getting... Uh, deeper. So I think she felt something was up with Ozzy and uh, Rowella uh, because she grew up with the girl so she probably uh, picked up on some scheming qualities and decided decided to use them uh, to her advantage. Um, some might think that she wouldn't be able to actually kill the child but uh, the child was not conceived uh, it, was not the, it was not the fruit of a loving union so uh, even if she uh, feels some kind of attachment to uh, him because she bore the child uh, it will always, uh, it will always uh, remain a constant reminder 
of the abuses uh, abuses that she was uh, the victim of. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think that her relationship with her son is ever um, uh, something that would be considered kind of your normal mother-child uh, relationship. Okay, moving on. Uh, the situation with Drake and the Warleggans. Discuss. BPAC67 says... The absolute pettiness and vindictiveness of George to damage Drake's property and target his customers because of Drake's friendship and closeness with Jeffrey Charles, his suspicion that Drake was the instigator of the frogs in the pond at Trenwith, and his family connection to Ross and Demelza. No doubt Tom Harry and the gamekeepers who beat Drake and threw him in the water and stoned him felt that George would not be displeased by their behavior towards Drake and would look the other way. Good on Elizabeth for taking George to task about the treatment of Drake by their servants. All roads lead to the kitchen said, I feel so bad for Drake. Curse that Tom Harry and George needs to quit acting like such a spoiled, vindictive teenager. The scene on the main drive to Trenrith was almost too much for me to bear. First they broke his spirit, now his body. I'm happy that Elizabeth's character is starting to change a bit though. Absolutely addicted Poldarki says, I love Drake. He has such inner strength and character. The attack on him at Trinwith was so unnecessarily brutal. I was so very proud of him for trying to visit Elizabeth in the first place. And then, even after being attacked, to actually continue seeking Elizabeth out, being so determined, very admirable. Also, the fact that he would be willing to sacrifice his friendship with Jeffrey Charles speaks volume. volumes. I love this young man. Amanda Poldark says, Douchelegan has an ally in that thug Harry. Both of them think Drake, and by extension Sam, are stealing away the people they want control over. Douchelegan wants Jeffrey Charles to bond with the elites, not minors like Drake. Harry wants Emma and sees the Karn brothers as a threat. And, as always, George is forever bitter about Ross's success. If someone can have a mob beat down both Douchelegan and Harry, that would be great. What? <laughs> Girls, what do you think? Um, I think this was probably the first time I felt sincerely sorry for Drake. <laughs> I'm kind of in <laughs> about that. You, you, you have oh. had kind of a hate on this poor boy. I just thought previously he'd been quite immature. But he has grown up exponentially since he became the blacksmith and he's moved away and he's really trying to better himself. But he's still being hounded by George's pettiness. And to be fair, I very much doubt that George knew the extent to which Drake was being harassed. But I don't think that's an excuse. In fact, it's pretty awful. The fact that he has dangerous lackeys and doesn't keep them on leash is reckless and honestly quite unlike George in a lot of ways. Previously, he's always cared about keeping up appearances. He wants to be seen as fair, more by his fellow estate owners than by the locals. It's an appearance thing. I think the fact that he has got this far and this dangerous is an indication that George is himself in a very dark place and things are slipping through the cracks for him. Elizabeth is right when she says that this is just a symptom of his own emotional problems since he found out about Valentine's parentage. 
That's a really great observation, Rita. Um, you know, I, I do think that George likes to operate under the guise of plausible deniability, you know, to give uh, high-level strategic instructions, uh, but to leave the details and the doing to others uh, so that when the shit really hits the fan, he can always have the ability to throw the lackeys under the bus. Um, you know, I, I would question whether both uh, Book George and Show George have any desire to save face with the locals. Um, you know, as you said, Rita, it really is more about the, the, the people that he, George is starting to hang around with uh, higher and higher up the, the social ladder as he, as he continues to climb that. Yeah, I think George Rolligan would make a great case of psychological study. Because <laughs> damn. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, I mean, I get, well, actually, no, I don't get why um, he constantly needs to reinforce uh, his uh, superiority to Ross and uh, everybody uh, who is connected to him, especially uh, using uh, unnecessary violence on a poor and harmless young man. And um, to me, it proves the complete opposite of what he's trying to show. And uh, he will always be the weak one, hurting others. And uh, like you said, Michel, um, he gives the instruction and uh, he doesn't ask uh, details. And so when he's cut off guards, like we saw uh, when um, he uh, ordered uh, his lackey to um, to scare, quote, scare Judd. And in fact, he actually killed him, nearly, <laughs> nearly killed him. And uh, yeah, when also when, uh, when he shot Demelza uh, again. Mm -hmm. doesn't take responsibility and we saw how he got uh, so he got so frightened he was so scared it was like uh, i told you to scare him not assassinate him <laughs> yes <laughs> yes exactly exactly um it's like george dude you're gonna have to you, you can't keep your hands squeaky clean uh, all the time on this stuff Grow up here. particularly <laughs> if you've got people like tom harry and his cronies working for you Okay, so next question. Um, Winston, uh, who are you and what have you done with the Elizabeth of old? Because <laughs> uh, uh, I think there must be something in the Chen something going on in the channel with blood these days. Uh, so discuss, folks. BPAC67 said, I think Elizabeth saw George's suspicion and jealousy of Drake and how his excessive response to Drake was damaging their relationship with the villagers as an analogy to her marriage. George's jealousy of Ross and suspicion about Valentine not being his child and his response in having Elizabeth followed and ignoring Valentine was damaging their marriage. Elizabeth used Drake's visit to confront George head on, not only about the excessive response to Drake, but also as an opportunity to confront George about his suspicions around her, Valentine and Ross. She employed the carrot stick approach in addressing George's concerns, i.e. swearing on the Bible about not willingly giving herself to another man except her husband, and also threatening to leave George if he continued on his way. I think she handled the situation pretty well. All roads lead to the kitchen, says, yeah, seriously. I don't want to like Elizabeth, and I don't yet, but I found myself almost wanting to in parts of this book. She's finally found her backbone, and like that, she's asserting herself and her opinion to George. Absolutely addicted, Paul Darkey says, the Chinoweth blood boils, does it not? These women can only be meek and mild for so long. You have to be proud of Elizabeth standing up to George the way she has 
I loved how she confronted him on the pressures put on Drake, how he had hired bullies who will beat a young man senseless and disfigure him, possibly for life. When she suggests George fire Tom Harry and then telling him how he is inspiring hate was incredible. You go, girl. Telling George how the Poldarks always cared for village folks may not have been a good thing, though. And how she handled the neglect of Valentine, well, first of all, kudos to her for coming right out with it. This was the turning point for George, I think, since she can, since she cannot be absolutely certain of Valentine's paternity, finds the perfect way to stop George's doubt once and for all, and what a genius move to bring out the Bible. I have never, never given my body to any man except to my first husband and to you. No, Elizabeth, you certainly did not give your body to Ross. Not at first, anyway. We are not going to start that again. <laughs> I will not be baited. No. Uh, let's see. So Amanda Poldark says, I think Elizabeth is on the defensive because she is afraid about Valentine's future. She may still be mad with Ross, but she has a measure of sympathy for him because of Valentine. Along with that, she's realizing Dushlegan's methods with dealing with the villagers and people allied with Ross are too heavy-handed and petty. Warlegan's mafia nearly beat Drake to death. She might also have some leftover soft spot for Ross in wishing to make peace with Drake. <sighs> Girls? Um... Like I said last week, Elizabeth's sudden change in demeanour rings so false to me. Because she's always been an incredibly passive and non-confrontational person. So her sudden outburst at George and her insistence that they deal with their issues that very night just blew my mind and seemed kind <laughs> of out of character to me. I was like, are we sure this is Elizabeth? <laughs> But then I guess maybe she's one of those people who's willing to fight under the most dire of circumstances. Her own survival instincts kicked in and she was doing whatever she could to save her marriage. I still resent her for lying so blatantly to George about Valentine's parentage. George's suspicions and paranoia, for the record, are not unfounded. <laughs> and... I think she's gaslighting him, especially when she brought out the Bible. This is not yeah. something I will be cheering her on for. I certainly don't see her as the victim of this marriage. If it is failing, it's because of her actions. Mm, and I really love that last observation, Rita. I really do. The decisions Elizabeth has made throughout her entire re adult life has resulted in the kind of the mayhem uh, that has been a part of several people's lives. You know, now I, I know that the first response of this comment will be that if Ross hadn't slept with Elizabeth, she wouldn't have felt forced to marry George. So before the deluge of angry asks hit the inboxes, I want folks to please remember the dinner conversation Elizabeth had with Ross. You know, in the show, it was at the Penvenons. Uh, at uh, in the book, it was uh, at Trenwith. Was it at Trenwith? Yes, uh, Christmas at Trenwith. Yeah, um, it was a conversation that she completely initiated that was unwarranted, unnecessary, and inappropriate. And why did she bring that up? Because she couldn't let Ross go and be happy and content with the scullery maid. 
who you know, this was still while while Francis was alive. Francis was alive when all this was going on. So it wasn't as if, you know, she was widowed at this point or anything along those lines. You know, she busted out this, you know, I've always had feelings for you and I know you've always had feelings for me thing when it didn't need to be said. Also, casual reminder that Elizabeth agreed to marry George before Ross slept with her. So it's not as if she was forced to do it out of a desperate situation. She made that decision all on her lonesome. Preach. Preach, oh, preach, yeah, preach, I, preach, preach. I couldn't help feeling sorry for George in the, during their confrontation because uh, I think we can all agree that if George has one weakness, it should be Elizabeth. And because so far she's been the only person he confessed uh, his insecurities to. And especially uh, when earlier in the book, when uh, he was back from London, I think, and um, he talked uh, with her about uh, his insecurities. And so um, seeing her go to such lengths, you know, lying and uh, especially uh, using the Bible is a kind of blasphemous. So, um, but Elizabeth's lost anyway, so she lost me. <laughs> Anywho... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was uh, flipping through the the confrontation that we're talking about. And, you know, I think, you know, for George, you know, a lot of people say, you know, well, George loves Elizabeth, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, first and foremost, Elizabeth is his most prized possession. And he says that in this confrontation when uh, she finally confronts him about Valentine and... Uh, when she's trying, she's goading him to actually say the words. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and, and read this. This is from page 389 of the Kindle edition. Uh, Will you believe me? Will you for a single solitary second think that I've told you or what I've told you is the truth from my heart? Not at all. That's why I say jealousy is eating you up. That's why I say our life together has become impossible. It must end. It is going to end tonight. He dropped his hand, stared at her with all the lowering intent of a goaded bull. You must tell me, Elizabeth. You must tell me. You must tell me. She hesitated, swung on her heel, and went into her dressing room, hair floating in the wind of her own movement. For a moment, he thought she was ending the scene that she had done with him and was going to leave him, his most prized possession lost forever. But she came back as quickly as she had gone. In her hand was a Bible. She came up to him, set the Bible on the table. And then that's when she goes into the this whole thing. The whole hey, lying I, I, thing. <laughs> Just gonna lie. I, yeah, the whole lying <laughs> thing. I mean, honestly, I hope and pray we have this scene in the in series three because it's gonna give uh Haida and jack such a marvelous moment of acting <laughs> i can't wait to see it on the screen i really can't it's gonna be fun to be like which one of them is the worst right now and it's like <laughs> both of them are terrible <laughs> exactly there are so many and i think that's one of the reasons why i liked most of these chapters um, because there are such great opportunities to see people outside of their comfort zones because all of these folks are, are shoved out of their com their comfort zone within these five chapters. Okay, let's get out of our comfort zone, shall we? Oh! <laughs> 
The return of Hugh Armitage and the trip to the seals. I have never hated seals so much in my life. (laughs) Harken back to page 231. Rather persistent, eh? In any event, let's discuss it. Okay, so Bipak67 says, It's interesting how Demelza recognizes that she's vulnerable to Hugh, but she ignores the inner voice in the head about going out with him in the dingy to see the seals. She noted the disorganized defenses she put up to his request, and her brain was impeded by unexpected emotion that she did not need excuses, but just to refuse. She wondered whether it was unseemly of her to have agreed to his to his suggestion. Ross might not like it when he knew. After Hugh tells her he's losing his sight, and he asks if he can make love to her, and talks about how love is not a possession to hoard, but to give away, they have a discussion. But Hugh, you must know that I am troubled by you, moved, and it is not pity. I wish, I only wish it was, all those pretty words you spoke about love being divisible. Can I ask you if you think other things are divisible too, such as loyalty, such as trust? No, he said humbly. There, you have me beat. You think that Demelza has finally won the argument and Hugh has conceded defeat, but he asks, asks for a kiss. She crosses the line by letting Hugh kiss her and make love to her. Demelza lets these emotions, feelings, and attraction that she has for Hugh, which she does not know how to handle, overwhelm her, and what she knows is right. She began to trace figures in the sand. Her heart was beating as if there was a drum inside her. May I just then kiss you? She raised her head and pushed her hair back. It would be quite wrong, but you will permit it. Perhaps I cannot stop you. He moved towards her and knew the moment he touched her that something had won his battle for him. He took her face in his hand, hands held it like a cup to be drunk from, and then kissed her. <sighs> All roads lead to the kitchen. I don't know what to say. I was hoping she wouldn't give in to the temptation, but alas, Demelza is human. I think it was as much her as it was Hugh. She could have said no, and I believe he would have accepted it. <sighs> Absolutely addicted product, you said. Well, this is where I almost threw my book out the window. This was so difficult for me to read that it gave me pause as to why. Obviously, I have my own issues when it comes to this subject. Uh-huh. So, that aside, I have had to take a step back. Demelza was a... Uh, Demelza was denied a, quote, normal adolescence. She never got to experience being courted, so of course she's going to be taken with the attentions of this young man. She is a loving, caring individual She does not know, not being experienced, how to maturely handle this. So it's very easy for her to be swept up in the romance of it. Of course, his persistence and determination factor into this. Boy, page 231 proved prophetic. It sure as hell did. And I found, I I just found it, so I want to read it and, and just infuse it into this conversation. You know, because I'm a glutton for punishment. Oh, Ross, I'm so sad. For him, well, I wish I were two people. Tell me. One, your loving wife, that I always wish to be and always shall be, and mother, content, content, content. But for a day, there was a long silence. For a day, you'd like to be his lover. No, not that. 
but I'd like to be another person, not the Mills of Holdark, but someone new, who could respond to him and make him happy just for a day. Someone who could laugh with him, talk with him, flirt with him maybe, go off with him, ride, swim, talk, without feeling I was being disloyal to the man I really and truly and absolutely love. And do you think he'd be satisfied with that? She moved her head. I don't know. I suppose not. I suppose not either. Are you sure you would? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Amanda Poldark says, uh, Rereading this chapter is very odd for me. For the longest time after I read it the first time, I was convinced... <clears throat> sorry. I was convinced that Demelza was acting from and at the very least subliminal revenge from what happened with Ross and Elizabeth. This time around reading, I'm seeing Demelza as a girl who is really ridiculously empathetic and is letting herself go to a place she didn't expect to be. And mind you, even until last week, last week, I was convinced that there was revenge there, even if it was buried a bit. There's not even a single mention in the whole thing about Judd, Elizabeth, or even Ross beyond the fact that he's away on a business trip. Book 2, Chapter 10 is pretty much doing its best to undermine my theory. I'm stubborn like Ross, though, so I'm still willing to argue that it is a valid way to interpret the storyline. Demelza is not only realizing she does not, she does have some sort of feelings for Hugh, she's also realizing that Hugh's time away hasn't cured his puppy love crush, crush after all. The letters and poems are still arriving. I still don't think Hugh was manipulative or scummy, which hasn't changed from my first time around reading. He couldn't easily admit to anyone else the extent of his injuries or the failure of his career. He may already know he's dying, which is hard for anyone to come to terms with. He couldn't tell his family that easily, that he might be blind for life, and now he's realizing that he can never experience normal life again, and he believes in living for today. He's at this point where he's okay with risking everything, because he can then have something nice to think about when the pain of his illness takes over. I find it interesting that Winston Graham cuts to black because it's now purely fan conjecture between if they actually had sex or if it was just a make-out session. The 1970 version filmed it exactly as it was in the book. The camera cuts away as you see Hugh start to kiss her and move her blouse off her shoulder. I'm more inclined to believe they went all, way, all the way, but that's just me. Either way, Hugh made his own poetic fantasy come true, and Demaza has had her own Is the Grass Greener on the other side moment. I don't think lesser of her for doing what she did, even if it's not as motivated by revenge as I think it was before. She had to go through her own, her own trial to see that, at the end, Ross is the one she loves the most. I think many fans judge her harshly for this because of misogyny and shaming of sexual choices and not a concern over infidelity. Even though Ross was pushed to the background here, I still pin a large percentage of blame on him <laughs> because he never came clean on the cemetery and he also kept failing to provide Demelza with the emotional support she clearly needed. I believe that she was more so motivated by feeling that something was missing from her life with Ross. He wasn't a natural romantic and also his business military dealings was taking him away from home, from home frequently. Her friendship and eventual hookup with Hugh pretty much show that all she knew before about love, relationships, and intimacy was Ross. At the end of this scene, I'm still way more sympathetic to Hugh compared to most other Romelza fans, 
and that and that I will defend Demelza even when she makes questionable decisions. I do know how this all ends, so I'm not going to speculate about the next section of the story. Okay, well, thank you for that response, Amanda Poldak. That was beautifully written. Yeah, she she told me that she had a bit of an essay uh, to to write about this, and and so. You know, I, I appreciate the, the time that, that she took to, to, to put her thoughts into to words. Yeah, thank you. Um, girls, how did you respond to this scene? For me, uh, it's a mixture of sadness, um, uh, massive amount of disappointment, and anger at both of them. Um, this conversation pretty much inks in my opinion about Hugh being a manipulative bastard. And I know that puts me kind of on the, the opposite end of the spectrum from Amanda Poldark when it comes to uh, Mr. Armitage. You know, after his little, you know, my eyesight is failing, woe is me crap, then his the little speech that BPAC references about spiritual love and how by giving herself to him, she's not being disloyal, but adding to her love for Ross... You know, that is some seriously serpentine bullshit <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, and here it is just to make sure that it's all crystal clear in our minds. Uh, quote, let me explain one thing first. You think this is a terrible thing, asking you to be disloyal to Ross. And on the narrowest terms it is. But how can I try to make it more clear? By giving love, you do not diminish it. By loving me, you would not destroy your love for Ross. Love only creates and adds to itself. It never destroys. You do not betray your love for Ross by offering some of your love to me. You add to it. Tenderness is not like money. The more you give to one, the more you have for others. You feel something for me, don't you? Yes. Then tell me, could you have felt as much for me, as much warmth and understanding, if you had not loved Ross? Maybe not. I don't know. Love is not a possession to hoard. You give it away. It's a blessing and a balm. You know the parable of the loaves and the fishes. It is always misunderstood. Christ was distributing spiritual bread. That's why there was enough for 5,000. It's a miracle. It's the miracle that is occurring all the time. Now, how many people have heard someone in their life say, if you loved me, you'd let me dot, dot, dot. I know as a young woman, I heard that come from young men who were trying to get into my pants to say, if you loved me, you'd let me have sex with you. Or if you loved me, you'd let me do this. How is what he is saying to her any different than that? It's not. It's not. It's not. It is manipulative bullshit. And I know that a lot of people have found Hugh to be this innocent, young swain who's too young to have the sophistication or experience to be conniving or manipulative or even predatory. Um, And I know that I have accused Hugh of being predatory uh, in past blog posts as it relates to this book. Um, You know, Hugh admits it admits it to all of us and, and, and to her as well, that he has known other women. He's known other women. And so he is not this virginal guy who has zero experience in the world. So uh, irregardless of how young he is, that little speech of his 
is nothing but manipulative bullshit to get into her pants. And I know folks always come back to the, you know, if Ross had only told Demelza about meeting Elizabeth that one day, well, the fact of the matter is he didn't. And we may wish it, but he didn't. And the other fact of the matter is she has not asked him about it. She has tucked it away as a little kernel of justification for her to keep all of these acts of emotional infidelity sanctified by her righteous indignation. And now she's faced with the ultimate challenge to the loyalty and trust she bears to Ross. There's no justification, no I'm a get me mine revenge. You know, she's basically abdicated her common sense, her loyalty, and has taken Hugh as a lover. And I am not judging her based on, you know, as, as uh, Amanda Poldark has said, you know, based on misogyny or anything along those lines. My judgment of Demelza in this case is strictly because she took vows that said, we will, I will forsake all others. And she has been in, she has broken that vow. Um, I can't abide this and find the decision that she made to do this to be um, as reprehensible as Ross's visit to Elizabeth. Uh, for me, I don't find it as reprehensible. Pretty reprehensible, not gonna lie. <laughs> I still think it's freaking terrible. But it doesn't hurt me like personally in the same way that I felt like Ross's visit to Elizabeth did I Ugh. think it's pretty clear to me that Demelza's loyalty and trust in Ross were diminished after the affair with Elizabeth I don't think the situation with Hugh would have happened under circumstances where Ross hadn't cheated I see this I agree I, re I agree with yeah. you there so I, the chink in the armor, the, the chink in the armor started with that. Exactly. I see this more as a, of a cause and effect thing rather than Demelza cheated as revenge thing um, that has been floating around. Their marriage recovered after the infidelity. It's very clear in the Black Moon, however, that the level of trust and assurance never quite did. There's always a bit of a sore spot hanging in the air because of the Elizabeth incident. Now, obviously, this is by no means me excusing her actions. Demelza is 100% wrong to do this. And I think the whole chink in the armor thing, like you said, is only about 20% of why she did this. It's not a very huge reason. I think a huge part of why it happens is because of Demelza's own failings as a person. As mm -hmm. I said earlier, she's way too trusting and loving and empathetic. But I can't dismiss the lingering effects of the whole Ross Elizabeth situation because I think it would be to undermine the great work Winston did in laying the groundwork for this so many books ago. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I completely agree with you about the writing. And, you know, as a, as looking at this from uh, an objective uh, lover of uh, literature and writing, uh, this 
it's one of the reasons why we are so impassioned about the situation in the first place. Why these books, you know, that were written, you know, way back in the uh, mid 20th century uh, remain to be so intriguing uh, is because they were so brilliantly written and the, the plot line and the characterizations are so well crafted. Um, you know, if all of the secret keeping about Hugh had started after the meeting in the graveyard, I think I would be a little more forgiving. Um, but I, I really, 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 really hope people remember that the groundwork for the day on the beach with the seals was well and truly laid before she discovered Ross met Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and don't lay the responsibility for her behavior, you know, what she decides to do at Ross's feet. You know, I, I mean that. Um, the the whole concept of there being this revenge storyline to explain her infidelity just makes me almost unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> um, and mark my words, if that is the track the adaptation goes down, I'ma be pissed. We're calling you out, pissed. Debbie. We're calling you out. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't go there. Trust in me. Oh my god, I honestly, I can't believe I actually made it through that Yay. section without bursting into tears. I know that that we have talked uh, in uh, DMs about reading this section of the book, and I know that, that I had to stop listening to the audiobook because I, I simply could not stop feeling like I was going to throw up as we went further and further. So I had to stop reading the audiobook and I skimmed it in my Kindle just so that I would be able to to have a few um intelligible things to say other than just, you know Delanda, did you listen to it in the audiobook? Because I know I did. Yeah, yeah, I listened to it. No, yeah, I did not was... I did How was it? I painful I didn't. Long <laughs> That was the I thing. couldn't do it. I I could not, I, I, I don't think I would have been able to listen to that section of Hugh manipulative bullshit <laughs> on the audiobook oh without my God. putting His my foot through. Beach was like yeah, some without, without like, my... 60s bullshit. I was like, ugh, free love. Oh my God. I know, I know. Ah! It was, it was awful. It was awful. But it's over. It's over. Okay, moving on. For now. No more here for today. Jesus, yes. Yes. Okay, so um, can you pick out a passage that strikes you as particularly profound or interesting? Please share it and why. Bipak67 says, I love the glimpses that we get into Joshua and or Grace Poldark, Ross's parents, and their marriage. And also Demelza's interpretation in this instance. Whatsoever love had ordained it is, n is not fit to despise. The few words brought Ross's parents more to life than anything Ross had ever said or anything remaining of them in this house. Grace Mary, aged only 30 years, tall and slim and dark, with long dark hair, dying in great pain in this house, with the shadowy figure of Ross's father sitting beside her. Then, when she had gone, when she could no longer speak to him, touch his hand, smile or be smiled upon, 
when she was buried deep in the sandy clay and Joshua Poldark was utterly alone, then he had had a stone raised over her grave and those lines inscribed on it. Whatsoever love had ordained, it is not fit to despise. To the Melza, they seemed to say more, to express more truly the depth of love of one human being for another than Hugh Armitage, Hugh Armitage's poems. It was not fair to compare them, for Hugh was young and could suffer in a different way. Joshua, or the unknown Latin poet, had expressed a deeper suffering. So yeah, we're still talking about Hugh. Hugh's poems yeah. are terrible, and that is basically Demelza agreeing. I'm gonna. <laughs> All roads lead to the kitchen. Said I loved the imagery and truth of having children in this line from page three twenty six. The Poldarks returned to their own parlor, where a bright fire was burning and the candles had just been lit. Demelza went into the kitchen to see that everything was well, and all was clamour for a while as Jeremy and Clowence, like water let out of a dam, followed her back into the parlour and took over their role as entertainers and conversationalists. <laughs> oh, that was that was a great image. That's great imagery. Mm. I hope we see it. Absolutely addicted. Polarki says Hugh to Demelza, page four hundred eleven. Let me explain <laughs> about one thing first. You think this is a terrible thing, asking you to be disloyal to Ross, and on the narrowest... <laughs> I can't with this dude. <laughs> and on the narrowest terms it is, but how can I try to make it more clear? By giving love, you do not diminish it. By loving me, you would not destroy your love for Ross. Love only creates and adds to itself, it never destroys. You do not betray your love for us by offering some of your love to me. You add to it. Unbelievable. If this is a manipulation, I don't know what is. Arg. <laughs> arg. Oh, I feel Jesus. that arg. Okay. The arg. Yeah. Amanda Poldark says, I'm picking out the passage that I thought the first time around was more of an indication of a darker past for Demelza, but now it seems like the hesitation is more because of her natural inclination to be loyal to Ross. Looking back, she quite Looking back, she remembered quite well the somewhat disorganized defenses she put up against Hugh's request. Because her brain was impeded by unexpected emotion, it was not quick enough to know that no defense at all was needed to such a suggestion. A polite refusal, a plain plight refusal would do. Instead, she made a number of excuses, each of which sounded lamer than the last in her own ears, and in the end, Confronted with his tentative solutions to her excuses, she found herself saying, well, I suppose we could. Ugh. How about you, girls? So I really hated being in Tom Harry's head, because he's just terrible. Mm -hmm. But I really yeah. loved getting his perspective on the whole Sam-Emma situation, because I am <laughs> Sam-Emma trash forever. Um, <laughs> the change he's so, seen... So is there... Is there, there um, their their name Sema Sema Emma <laughs> Sema We're gonna have to, we're gonna it's we're gonna Sema. get together and we're gonna think on this. But anyway, yes. the passageway <laughs> he was discussing um his perspective on them and the change that he's seen in Emma and the quiet serious way that Sam longingly looks at her. I was just like swoon. <laughs> <laughs> 
I will take anything. This was like two sentences and I was like, yes. <laughs> I will take any tad bits I can get. Oh my gosh. I I I agree with you. I think that that it's I love the build up that we're getting for Sam and Emma. I really do because it's coming at us from all these various different directions. Um and I love that. I just love that. Um I've already talked about some of the the parts that I really liked and um I don't have anything else to say except I don't ever want to read that manipulative <laughs> bullshit ever again. We don't have to anymore. <laughs> oh god. Over. Yay! We just have to watch it on screen. Oh Christ. <laughs> Okay, um, as always, fill in the blank. Dear Debbie, I will be your fan forever if you include... Beepak67 says, Elizabeth and George's discussion about jealousy and suspicion. The dinner party at Nampara, including the discussion between Demelza and Francis Bassett, and Hugh and Demelza's trip to see the seals. All Rose Lee to the Kitchen said, include Elizabeth finding her backbone in season three. Uh, absolutely addicted Poldarky said, it's all about what I don't want to see. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dreading that they will use the graveyard scene with Ross and Elizabeth as a revenge situation for Demelza. Um, I do not like that idea. Um, Slide over on the bench, sister. I am sitting down next to you. Uh, Nor does she want to see the seal cave scene with Demelza and Armitage. Sorry, I know he is good, handsome and all, but I couldn't take it. Can we just allude to it? Guess that it happened. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Amanda Holdark says, include Emma in dresses that actually reflect her book description and not some Renfair wench reject nonsense like the 1970s did in season three. Oh my God, guys. That reminds me. I've heard that Emma is apparently a gypsy. What? What? 1970s version what the fuck oh my god let i can't wait to get to it that's gonna be hysterical okay so girls what do you guys think what do you what do you want to see i want to see roella blackmailing the shit out of aussie yes do it girlfriend yeah and i want to see morwenna's confrontation with aussie me too this will be such a powerful scene oh my god i'm just i'm desperate for ozzy to be brought low (laughs) just bring him down i feel like we could get him lower question or observation of your choice this is optional but feel free to share whatever questions or observations you've made about the book so far bpac 67 had none all Roads that Lead to the Kitchen says, I suppose this is a rhetorical question, but is Ozzy delusional? <laughs> Does he truly see himself as a young middle-aged person of unimpeachable character? Lol. Uh, let's see, Amanda Poldark says, I'm noticing that Winston Graham likes to use parallels in his writings. Themes or situations one character faces might pop up again later on. Uh, and I've noticed that too. For sure. Yeah. Uh, girls, what were your thoughts? Uh, I enjoy how we get to uh, experience different lives uh, of the women of Poldark, whether it be Demelza going through dark times in her marriage, Caroline questioning her reunion to Dwight, Morwenna going through hell as an abused wife, Ruella and uh, Elizabeth's manipulations, Emma's independence, independence, um, props to, again, Winston Graham. 
Yep. Yeah. The ladies are amazing. Um, I think the previous novels relied on Ross's point of view a lot, but this novel, less so. And I'm kind of digging bouncing around so much. You're getting loads of different perspectives and information. I wish we could have got Rowella's point of view, though, because the way her mind works is like a complete freaking mystery. But I'm <laughs> betting it's fun and slightly fucked up in there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. So that is it for our book club podcast. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to check in on Sunday for commentary track. If you would like to get in contact, then please do either on the blog, poldarkpodcast.tumblr.com, or tweet us at poldarkpodcast, because we love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much for listening and for the support. We will be back in two weeks as we're having a little Easter break in recording, but fear not, because we will be back to discuss more Poldark soon. Thank you, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Searching for the right, but it keeps avoiding me Sorrow in my soul, cause it seems that wrong Really loves my company He's more than a man, and this is more than love The reason that the sky is blue The clouds are rolling in, because I'm gone again And to him I just can't be true And I know that he knows I'm unfaithful And it kills him Take away